And I was 29 turning 30, and I remember saying to myself, if I can't find a professional job in Japan, I'm going to go back to the States. This morning, I am pleased to say that I have a longtime friend, and a friend in respect that I met him when I was at the American Chamber of Commerce. That's when I really became aware of him because he called me into his office. Actually, he called me when I was in Kobe, and I thought it was a prank. And he said, as VP, we feel you have an obligation to the chamber. And I said, what is that? He said, I think you should run. We want you to run for president. And my knees got weak. I was up on the 10th floor. My, got, my knees got weak, and I thought it was a joke. And he said, no, Lance, I'm serious. When you get back to Tokyo, come into the office. And I said, I'm not interested. And he talked to me, asked me to stay away from the club for about a week. You remember that, don't you? I do. He said, stay away from the club for a week, the American club, that is, because I was only interested in becoming president here. I didn't think the chamber was possible for me. And through the art of his persuasion, he easily got me to run. And against the person I didn't want to run against, <laughs> I told him, I said, he said, no worry. Sounds like a, a military recruiter. Yeah, we'll give you anything you want. Just come on in. But thanks to him, it was one of the best experiences of my life. I can't thank him enough for having the opportunity and having that experience, because I sure wouldn't have done it on my own. So without any further ado, I want to introduce you to Mark Forte. Good to see you, Lance. Good to see you, Mark. Yeah, those were those were great yes. times, and well, I guess I guess my sales skills were, they were pretty good back point. then, huh? They were on point because I'm a salesman. Mm. I was trained as an investor. Salesman selling salesman. to the salesman. But they say salesmen are the easiest people to sell if you're good. Okay. Don't you agree? I agree. Yes. Because you respect the art, and the, the guy is really good. He's going to make sure that you get something that everybody wins on. Right. He's not trying to take anything from you. Those are scam artists. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. a salesman shows you something in a way that you may not have thought of and helps you feel good about what you're doing. Sure. Yeah. And I, I, of course, I remember those days very clearly. And I was really interested in seeing a bit of a change in the American Chamber. Yeah. And, uh, well, and I think one. you represent... The change. That was up to you? No, well, it wasn't up to me, although I was, I was the chair of the nominating committee. Okay. And of course, we talked with the, with the members of the committee, we talked about how we wanted any election to go. And I actually oversaw two elections. Debbie Howard as well was a, was a candidate that we brought into, um, you know, into the, the election. And that was all, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like a strategic plan, but there was a, there was a concept where let's see a little more variety and a little more inclusiveness in the American chamber. And, you know, big companies, small companies, men, women, uh, you know, it was, it was that kind of uh, um, objective. Well, it was, uh, I guess that was objective, but of course, my ethnicity made the big difference. It did, it did, and, it, and I thought and it was great. not just that, but also because I was in the first independent businessman. Exactly right. You know, I had a small, I'm the one that changed the, um, it used to be called a small business committee. And when I got on it, I said, why are you calling it small business? Because by doing that, you're giving the wrong impression. Mm -hmm. Just because in those days, your company was judged by how many people were in it. Right. I said, that has nothing to do with how much money it has. Right. How much revenue. Or how innovative generous. or how exciting right. or interesting it is. So I right? said, you should call it an independent business. That's, I remember that, yeah. And I changed it. We changed it to that name. Right. And I guess it served well in more ways than I thought. 
But that was a good time. You were right over Hobgoblins at the time. You were with Universal Studios. I was with 20th Century, 20th Century Fox, Fox at the time. Yeah, I was running um, Asia Pacific region for the home entertainment division during the boom of DVD. Okay. I mean, it was it was a fun time was to be in the entertainment business, especially in that part of the business. And it was interesting because it required um, packaged goods, fast-moving consumer goods expertise, as well as, of course, you're in the entertainment business. How do you sell a movie? So it was a very interesting time, but yeah, that was that was the, the hobgoblin was upstairs and uh, no, you were upstairs. Yeah, we were upstairs. You the hobgoblin was downstairs. downstairs. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And you, um, as a result of that, you've created. You've always been an entrepreneur in your in your own right, or you've always had that spirit. That yeah, you think. know, <coughs> that that's a very interesting comment because I've never considered myself an entrepreneur because I guess. I've always considered an entrepreneur somebody who like built something new or you know created something completely innovative. I mean, I I've lived half of my life has been corporate and half of my life has been entrepreneurial, but not in the what not in what my uh, conception of an entrepreneur is. You know, start up this, start up that. I went from being a corporate guy to a consultant to business strategy consultant to an entrepreneur in the sense that I, st I started my e-commerce business, which then evolved into this import business, which now kind of morphed into a uh, trading company. Right. And I don't know that I could have predicted any of those, those steps along the way. So where did Big Picture Inc? Inc. Yeah, that's right. Big yeah. Picture Inc, BPI, come in the picture? Because you've always, okay, you've always been in the media business, right? We didn't I was in advertising. advertising. I was in advertising right. for about 10 years before that, and I, I made it to senior VP of McCann Erickson, Hakuhodo at the time. That's how far back that goes. Well, you came in Japan. You came to Japan in 85? I came in Japan in 88. 88, okay. And uh, as a backpacker, so I have very humble beginnings uh, and non-corporate beginnings. My, my career in the United States was... Uh, as a as a, a mental health specialist, I was in the you know the field of psychology, which is to this day still my passion. By the way, At some point I'll get a PhD and hopefully practice uh, psychology. But um, left to travel around the world for a year. Um, ended up landing in Japan without any plan to be here. There's an ex-girlfriend story in that. Okay. Landed in Japan, walked out the door from Narita, and just said. I love this place. It was an intuitive sense of belonging and loving. Isn't that interesting? Mark, tell me, where were you born? I was born in New Jersey. In New Jersey, yeah, okay. How many siblings? I have a sister who now lives in Florida. How many years difference between the two of you? She's a year and a half older than me. And you she's a tight. really good friend of mine. I was gonna say, you guys would be very tight. Because you were very tight. Being that close, you grew up almost seeing the same things at the same time. Yeah, exactly. You know. And most of my rock and roll roots come from her. Okay. Now tell me this, because you have this exotic look to you, okay? And people, I'm sure, I've always thought that when I met you then, when you told me to come in, I said, wait, are you Greek? Or, when I say, when I say exotic, it's not the wasp Okay, look. yeah, well, I've, got a, I've, got, a, there, I've so. got a Mediterranean look, and okay. th my family's from Sicily. My father's family, my mother's family, my father was born in Italy, in Sicily. Um, both, but both of their families traced their lineage back, I think, 500 years on the island of Sicily. So I'm 100% Italian, Italian-American, 
typical East Coast, you know, New Jersey, lived in New York, lived in Philadelphia. Did you ever learn the language? I didn't. I, although, I, you know, I kind of remember when I was a kid talking to my grandparents who spoke almost no English, having some communication in Grandparents Italian. on your mother or father's side? Uh, on my father's side, because they were Italian-born. Okay. My mother's parents, my grandparents on my mother's side, were all born in New York. So yeah, and it's funny because I've traveled all around the Mediterranean on, middle, on the uh, North Africa, the Middle East, and South, Southern Europe, and whatever country I go to, they speak to me in their language. I mean, they assume you're from Yeah, America. I was I from Morocco, that, I, I was right, from exactly. Egypt, I'm from yes. Israel, I'm you from get that. Greek, uh, Greece. You can get that. Well, see, I think also if you went into the um, South American countries, people would think you're from there. Fine. I think people think uh, that you're Mexican. I, I love my Latin, Latin, yeah, Latin, Latino, Latino, uh, Latino field. Yeah. Roots, yeah. Isn't that interesting? So what kind of child were you growing up? Let's say in elementary. Take, I want to take you back in time wow, a little okay. bit. Mm. So in elementary school, <laughs> were, you, were you more of a, um, an academic kid or were you more really physical? Uh, you know, actually, was, I was kind of a little of both. I played baseball growing up. Uh, I was in all the, the sports groups. Uh, played Little League Baseball, loved it. Some of my best memories are, you know, the leather, the smell of a leather glove on your hand, a little bit of sweat, and, you know, um, playing baseball as a kid up until I was about 16 years was old. Was your dad really involved in your... We, my dad and I, well, my dad was my catcher in the backyard, and I pitched to him. I was a, I was a decent pitcher. I never made it into, into high school ball, though. But, uh, and I did fairly well um, academically. I was, you know, always a, a good student. I liked studying, I liked, uh, I liked learning. Um, I liked partying, you know. I was uh, in New Jersey in the, in the late 70s, you know. Well, this is after school, though. This is, this, of course, yeah, after school. But, you know, I, was go to, I would go to, you know, Madison Square Garden, go to the rock concerts. So I, I always felt like I had a little bit of everything. I can hang out with academic-oriented kids. I can hang out with the sports kids. I can hang out with the party kids. And I felt very comfortable in any one of those groups. How are your parents doing now? Well, my dad passed uh, 17 years ago, in fact, um, on August 9th. So it's always a day that I remember. I was very close to my father. Did your mother and father stay together the whole time? Yeah, they did. Oh, they were, they were, um, uh, they were soulmates. Um, in, in many ways, and looking at their relationship really, I don't know if it, it's, it's guided me, it certainly let me know what a perfect relationship is, and, and I'm not sure I have one, uh, but they loved each other very much, and they were very, very uh, close to each other. We had a very good family, very good family life, visited the grandparents, visited the cousins, typical Italian family. Food everywhere, go to New York City, hang out in Brooklyn, you know, go to the Jersey Shore together. I mean, we did all of those things together. And even to this day, I go back to New Jersey. In fact, I'm going back uh, next week. And I'll hang out with my cousins. We'll go to their house for dinner. We go to the Jersey Shore. We'll go to concerts together. Now, these cousins, are they your mother's side? They're on my dad's side. My mom was an only child. My dad had okay. three siblings. And my Uncle Joe, Giuseppe, who I was very close to, had nine kids. Nine kids. So I have same, same wife. Same wife. Same wife. Oh, okay. you Christian you're Roman Catholic. You kidding me? <laughs> nine kids. Roman Catholic, right? <laughs> My goodness. Mom's doing okay. Mom is doing great. She'll she'll be ninety-two. Her oh, birthday's on September twenty-fifth. Okay. Mine's on the twenty-fourth. So we always had that oh. bond of you know the the birthday celebration. She'll be ninety-two. Is she living alone? She lives alone. She spends. Um, 
eight months a year in New Jersey and f four months a year in Florida with my sister during the winter, right? We don't want her on the ice and right, the cold course, weather. Yeah, that, right. So she's kind of, she's a snowbird. She flies down to Florida and, and lives with my sister. Uh, but so get this, so okay. she turns 90, sorry, she'll be 91 this year. She turns 90 last year. And in uh, March, my sister Linda and I say, Ma, what? Wait, what? your sister's named Linda? Linda, yes. So is mine. Is that right? Right next to me. Okay, very good. <laughs> is she older or younger than She's you? She's younger. Okay. I have two younger sisters and my right. brother, yeah. So I say to my mom, uh, you know, Ma, what do you want to, you're 90, what do you want to do? Why don't we go to the city, we'll go to a show, you know, we'll take you to dinner. She says, um, no, I want to go to Ireland. And my sister and I look at each other and what? See, I've never been, to, you know, I've never been to Ireland, and I want to go to Ireland. So my sister and I said, okay, all right, she's 90, let, we'll take her to Ireland. So last August, we go to London for three days, and we go to Ireland for eight days. And she's, she's walking around, we go, to the, we go to the pubs, she's hanging with us the whole time. So I said, Ma, that's it, right? You're, you did it, right? 90, Ireland, 91 now. So my sister and I, same thing. Ma, what do you want to do for your 91st birthday? She says, uh, well, Linda just bought a uh, <clears throat> flat in Palermo. I want to go see the flat. So here we are, September 6th, packing up the family, going to Palermo for 10 days for my mom's 91st birthday. And we're going to see it, which I, I of course, I love. But I just, I'm, I'm saying, I'm looking at my mom, just, you know, this tiny little Italian woman, but Very active. Sicilian women, right. they got they got the they power, got right? Okay. And I'm just I'm like, Mom, when are you gonna? I'm thinking to myself, I don't say this to her. When is she gonna slow down? And you know something beautifully, no no end in sight. You should. That's beautiful. So yeah, it's great. So I'm I'm pleased to say that I have a mother the same way. Okay. She came here. I said, Mom, on her, we, we, I went to the States, she had a big 90th birthday. Okay, right. How long, when was that? All of her sisters in San Bernardino. Okay. In California. When, sorry, when was it? It was, um, she's 94, she's the same age as this club, so she was, it was four years ago. Oh, so she's a little bit older yeah, than my yeah, mom. Yeah, she was okay. born in 1928. Wow. Um, same year as a club. Wow. So that's, that helps me to put wow. all the dates together. Fantastic. So I go there, my brother, my sisters are there, all the families, her only living sister who's older than her and her husband. Good genes. Her husband's were there, yeah. So she puts it on, speaks to everybody. It's an all-day event. And we go bowling afterwards because she loves bowling. <laughs> so on her 91st, just before her 91st birthday, I called up and said, Mom, um, what do you want to, are you having any plans for your 91st birthday? She said, no. I said, would you like to come to Japan again? She said, sure. I flew over here. Now, this is the cat. Nice. I flew over here, pick her up at the airport. We go bowling right away. And she beats me the first game. And I wasn't trying to let her win. Right, by okay. two points. That's amazing. Beat me by two points. She must have and been. She said a win. She, she said a win's a win. She said a She must have loved that. Oh, but can you believe our mother's That's at this fantastic. Time. Well, my mom's not bowling. She's doing chair yoga, but she's right, not right, bo right. bowling at 94. She's been bowling. That's and, incredible. And fact, I'm asking her. No, I'm asking. She said she hasn't bowled because of COVID. Yeah. It stopped everything. And right. she, her biggest fear is her knee giving out. And this is it being embarrassed by falling in the lane. And I said, Mom, I got you. I hear you. Take your time and still do it. So I'm trying to get my sister to take her this summer. Wow, that's fantastic. Well, get our mothers to meet. Isn't that nice? <laughs> that would be nice. But I think it's just because of modern medicine 
and them having a life without having her, their kids are doing okay. Yeah, right, right. They don't have the kind of stress that other people do, and I think that creates more, more deaths than anything else. Sure. Going through school, when you got into junior high school, in high school, what were the areas that you were really starting to find? I like doing this or like studying this. What were yeah, the not, not so much in junior. Junior high school was miserable. Was it? Where it was, was absolutely it? miserable. What happened in junior well, high school? Well, I lived, I was, you know, I grew up just south of New York City, and the, the town I grew up in was really small. And they didn't have a junior high school or high school, so they had to bus me into this other neighborhood. How long did it take? Oh, it wasn't that far. It's twenty okay. minutes by bus, but it, but it might have been. It might have been the other. It might have been the other side of the world. You know, we got bussed, and okay. you know, the 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 town, little town I lived in, was called um, uh, Menlo Park Terrace, the Terrace. So we'd get off the bus, and we'd hear, "Ah, oh, they're the Terrace kids." So you know, fights and bullies, and and uh, you know, and anyway. It was not the most fun time in my life. Was your junior high like ours in the States? It was just three years? Three years. Thank eight, God nine. it was only three years. Thank yes. God. That's what it split nine, up like it was, that. Uh, what is it? Seven, seven eight, eight, nine. nine yeah. Right. Did finish that. And then in high school, I also got bus, but it was to a much nicer neighborhood and uh, really loved it. Really, I think I, at that point, I took off academically. What did you start to I Well, you know, I had a, a teacher who taught psychology in my senior year. and. It's like the world opened up for me. I'm like, this is it. St studying the human mind and consciousness, I'm like, what could be more interesting than that? And in fact, I, remember, I think in, in my, uh, my high school yearbook I wrote, you know, you have to write your thing. I said, to be a doctor of the mind. So, you know, I can't, and I actually moved in that when I, when I went to school at Rutgers University, I graduated with a degree in psychology and got a job at the Mental Health Institute. Uh, and I got a job as part of a whole psychiatric team. And I did that for five years and I was really happy about doing it. I was very, it was in, in, my, in an element uh, career-wise that I wanted to be in. But I realized after five years that that was not for me. I mean, I was in a psychiatric ward working and, you know, schizophrenia and, uh, manic depressive and suicides and things like that and I lasted five years in the it was the healthcare profession full-on healthcare profession part of a five-member psychiatric team did you find that really emotionally started to affect you it did I mean I loved it I, it was a very strange feeling I loved it because I loved helping people and I loved being in that that environment of psychology but it was just so depressing because it was a chronic mental illness ward and you realize that nobody gets fixed right it is it's a unfortunately it's a kind of a terminal or a lifelong struggle for these very brave and very beautiful people in many ways but I, I couldn't do it anymore so after five years I quit and I remember when I when I was saying goodbye to my colleagues some of them had been working in the in the field for 30 years I said to them how much I respected them and appreciated them because it really takes a very unique human being to be able to not only work in that environment but thrive and help people in it. But it was also at that point where business started interesting me. Um, uh, along the way I started a company, I guess you could say I was entrepreneurial, I started a company called Holistic Guide and I started publishing a lifestyle magazine, a new age lifestyle magazine called Growth. What year are we talking about now? This was uh, 
probably mid-80s. So I graduated with a degree in psychology, and in my last couple of years in, uh, at Rutgers, I started taking yoga and karate classes. And I remember thinking to myself, the yin-yang of karate, which is, of course, very aggressive and very physical, and yoga, which is very mental and very relaxing, and I thought that was, and to this day, I've, you know, I've done karate throughout my life, and I've done yoga uh, throughout my, my life. In fact, I became a yoga teacher when I was in the United States. So I lived a really holistic life. Holistic lifestyle. I was doing yoga. I was doing martial arts. I was a vegetarian for for three years, and I thought, well, I wonder if I can make a business of this. And in that time, in the late '80s, mid late '80s, that whole new age lifestyle was really emerging. I thought it was a kind of a interesting point of, uh, you know, can humanity progress to an enlightened state? And, and how would you do it? What would this society need to move that way? Well, it would need to be tolerant. It would need to be chilled out. <laughs> you know, it would need to be peaceful. And it would need to be introspective, right? You need, in order to be enlightened, you need to have an understanding of yourself in your world. So I, so I started this company and uh, built a team. And we started selling a newspaper, a magazine. We did events. And I thought, oh, I like this. I kind of like this money making and and business. And you know, I'm a bit of a showman, so I would I would lead all these programs. And we did this past life regression, this thing, and we did this you know meditation retreat. That now thing. How old are you at this time? Uh, 25, 24, 25. How many people did you have with you? Uh, at that time, I think we had a team of about seven people. I had an editor. I had a. Uh, now this is you. Did you have? I mean, you built your team, but did you have anybody that was? equal with you? Um, you know, like a partner in any in way? In the end, yeah, the editor, <laughs> the editor of the, because ma the magazine was the key, Growth Magazine okay. was the key, and the editor for, who I went to school with at Rutgers really became my business partner. So I kind of took the business side of things, organized the events, did the marketing, paid the bills, did the advertising, and he really concentrated on the quality of the magazine. So in, in today's um, lingo, that would be website. Mm. Absolutely, there's nothing, nothing right. like that back then. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you I didn't even I mean? think. I wish, I wish they, we no, did. So it would, it I'm just thinking some of the younger people watching this won't know. When you say magazine, I was a published paper. Was a, I know, they won't yeah. understand how True. much importance that had. <laughs> that was your website. Oh my God! You know, that's isn't that interesting? Isn't that mid '80s though? That's 40 years ago, <laughs> man. Oh my God! I'm not sure I want to be reminded of a, that. If you didn't have a magazine. You could forget it. That wasn't the way to go. You know, you'd well, be door to door then. Yeah, exactly. And in some ways, it was. <laughs> it was um, yeah. But then, you know, I, I, um, I, okay. I met a, a, a Dutch woman, and went to Amsterdam. Stayed with her and hung out with her in Amsterdam, and fell in love with Europe. Absolutely, twenty-five years. First time I had ever been to Mexico and Canada, but I'd never really traveled outside of North America. And I'm like, Europe's it. This, they've got the lifestyle, they've got the culture. I want to live in Europe. So I remember thinking to myself, okay, I got to figure out a way to get to Europe. Okay, well, in the meantime, though, I want to travel, right? That, that really sparked a travel bug in me that was already there. I mean, when I graduated from university, I turned down a job at the mental health center, full-time position, because I planned to drive around the States going to all the national parks that I could. And I said, no, I'm, I, this may sound a little bit funny. I did something called the I Ching. I Ching is a, 
is a Taoist book on philosophy. So Taoism is a Chinese uh, spiritual religion. And they, part of this Taoism practice is you have these, these wooden sticks and you throw them and the way they land gives you some insight into what you should do. Of course, it sounds silly to me now, but at the time I was kind of like, okay, let's do the I Ching and let's see, should I take the full-time job or should I travel for two months, three months and go around the United States through the sticks? And I'm with my girlfriend at the time and we're looking at it and she says, you gotta go on the trip. That's the answer. So I said, all right. So I went, I went back to the mental health center where I was working part-time. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm going to turn down your full-time offer because I'm going to travel around the States. And they said to me, fine, we, you've been great. We want you. Next full-time position comes up, you know, we'll, we'll, we can offer it to you. So that's when I got the idea, hmm, you can have your cake and eat it too, which might have spoiled me because I kind of tended to live my life like that. You know, don't give it up and go get what you originally turned down anyway. So I've, I've tried to live my life that way. Uh, but anyway, I did the trip um, and I loved it and I got my full-time job and then I started Holistic Guide. Then I traveled to Europe and then I said to myself, I want to travel around the world. I want to travel around the world, I'm going alone, sold my company, put the money into tickets and travel, and said, I'm going for a year. What's your age now? So I'm 27. This is okay. July 87. And I end up going to Europe first, hanging out in Amsterdam, traveling around Europe, traveling around the, the North Africa and the Middle East. And the Dutch woman... You didn't go to, you didn't go to, 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 to Sicily? I, I didn't, no, I did not, no. Why, why wouldn't you go to see uh, your ancestry? I mean, uh, you know, I, well, to be I'm honest, curious, yeah. I, was, I was really more interested in developing countries travel. Like, you know, I, I wanted to go to like, you know, Israel, I want to go to Egypt. You know, I, wanted, I didn't want to go, I didn't, I didn't want to necessarily travel around in Europe that much. I really wanted to go to Africa, Middle East, um, Asia, in Latin America, you know, I didn't, I didn't want the familiarity of a European or North American culture. So, um, so this is a little bit funny story. So I'm, I'm in, I'm in Cairo, and back then there was no cell phones, no internet. In order for me to get my mail, I had to go to an American Express office. And I would go to the office in whatever country I'm in and then say, well, two weeks from now, I'm going to be in this next city. Please forward my mail there. So I go, I'm in Cairo. I go to the American Express office and I'm going through my mail and there's a postcard from Tokyo. And one side, I'll never forget it. One side is Ginza at night and one side is Tokyo Tower lit up at night. And I turn it over. It's from Ellen, the Dutch woman who I was, you know, was, was she was my girlfriend from, from Amsterdam. And she says, I'm in Tokyo. It's the greatest city in the world. You must come. So at that point, I had no plans to travel to Japan. I was going to travel through um, India, Pakistan, Thailand, Philippines, Indonesia, Australia, Latin America, and back. Because I thought, oh, Japan's too technological. It's too advanced. I like, you know, I want this, like, you know, developing world kind of gig. 
So I said, well, maybe, I, yeah, maybe I'll go to Tokyo. And, she, and then we started talking, called her. Oh, you can get a job here. You can teach English. So I thought, okay, that's a good idea. I'll go there, teach English, hang out for six months, make some money, and then go to the Philippines. Well, then you know the story. I landed in, in, in Narita. Doors open. I'd been traveling for six months. These, it was air conditioned, the electronic doors open, the taxi, I'm like, oh my God, I love this place. So you like electronics too. You like the modernization of the world. Well, I kind of became, I started liking You that. didn't know that you liked it so much. I didn't you, know that I liked it. I mean, look, I, one of the great things about living in Tokyo is it's, it is a, advanced, you know, it's developed. The it's the future. It's the future, but it's also got a really, you know, well, you can traditional vibe to it, right? Yes. But anyway, that's what brought me to Japan, right? I, like I said, when I, mapped out my, what, when I mapped out my trip, Japan was never on it. Never on it at all. But, and then here I am 35 years later. Bingo. Uh, you know, haven't left. Haven't left. So that's, yeah. what is that? Serendipity? Fate? I don't, I don't know. Um, a, a chaotic universe? I don't know. Any, it doesn't matter. I'm here, I'm having fun, and I love and you, it. So, you, you, as, so as a resident, or as a local, basically, in a way, you got all of your jobs that way, so they didn't bring you from overseas. No, they didn't, but I, but I also got did lucky. You, did so, you get expat packages? No, yeah, I did. So this is, this is also probably one of the reasons I stayed, because I, I was relatively successful in business, and I was able to get to fairly senior, senior positions. <clears throat> so I started out as an English teacher, taught in a year and a half. I'm like, I'm not going to do this anymore. Took six months off um, for the blue period. So those of you who might like Van Gogh know that he had a blue period. Very creative period, but also a very quiet, I don't know, maybe depressed period for him. But for me, it was a very introspective period. I lived in a small room. I had no television. I had uh, music. What happened to the Dutch girl? Uh, we broke up. Okay. Uh, Just curious, not that no, you mean it. No, we, we stayed six months together. She lived with me for six months in New York. I was living in New York at the time. Right. She lived with me for six months, and then I lived with her for six months. I kicked her out after six months in New York. She kicked me out after six months in Tokyo, and it was perfect symmetry. It was absolutely perfect symmetry. <laughs> so... So yeah, and then for six months I traveled around Japan, hitchhiked around Japan, by the way, which I thought was quite interesting. Now that year was '88. This was '88. '88. Um, right. And I, it was it was interesting. You know, at that point it was it was it was uh, I think '89 or '90. Okay. And uh, did some, did some great hitchhiking in uh, in Tohoku. Well, how was your Japanese? Had you when no? You I started studying Japanese at the time, and my Japanese is not is far from perfect. But I'm now. saying, but when you decided to start hitchhiking, that's when you said, okay, you took your little dictionary with you. And you started trying to pick it up then. You figured you'd well, be able to I had, I started, I did, during that six-month period, the quiet period, I started studying Japanese. Okay. So and I certainly I was able. I think Walkmans were big then, too. They, they were, yep. I had a Discman and a Walkman. Walkman yeah, <laughs> of course, yeah. Sony was off the charts at the time, right? So then I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I was 29, turning 30. And I remember saying to myself, if I can't find a professional job in Japan, I'm going to go back to the States. So I gave myself the six months. I had that six-month period. And luckily, I answered a, an ad in the Japan Times for a marketing director um, at an at a, uh, advertising agency. 
and I applied and I got the job. I was a little bit surprised. Not so much. I mean, when I was doing Holistic Guide, I was I was doing advertising and I was doing marketing, and uh, I guess I, that that certainly helped. And end up working my way up in that small company, um, and then I got headhunted to McCann Erickson, and I became a senior VP, kind of a hybrid expat package, not a full expat package. Wait, I just missed a little something. When yep. you got headhunted, what were you doing? I was at the the I was at a company called. Japan Marketing Data Systems. Okay, and you, you, you'd gotten that job from looking in Japan Times. That's right. L worked there for five years. Oh, five years? Five oh, years. Okay, so you really had some, you know, some substance yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. And then I was... And I people was were getting to know you. Yeah, exactly. So Actually, no, no. I'm, thinking, I'm just remembering I'm now. I wasn't... I was, I, was a, I was a leader in the ACCJ at that point. I was the head of the direct marketing committee. And actually, I wasn't headhunted. Um, the gentleman that I replaced at McCann Erickson, we, we worked very closely in business, I used, I used McCann Erickson and they used our, my company services. He left, to, he left to go to Time Magazine and he nominated me. It wasn't a headhunter. I was nominated and McCann Erickson hired me, put me on this hybrid uh, expat package. I became a board member of uh, McCann Erickson as well. Which now was that's after the first company that you worked with that you found Japan Times. That's right, again. yes. Five and years there. Five years and yep. what, 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 what position did you have when you were headhunted? Uh, well, I wasn't, again, I wasn't headhunted. I mean, headhunted. So, yeah. I mean when you were nominated. I was, I was executive vice president number two in that company. Okay. Yeah. So and how I, big was the company? Because uh, I think it was 80 employees. Okay. Yeah. So I, I kind of worked my way up, but I, I, how to say this, it was too small for me. So I, I was happy to move to McCann Erickson, have a big company with a lot of resources around Now let me, me ask you, at that time, were you living the expat life? I was, again, it was hybrid. I had an apartment in, in Rapungi, somewhere over there. But was it Tatami or was it a No, it was a, two it was a, it was a townhouse, it was nice, okay. it was, you know. Did you have a car? I did have a car, uh, okay. I had a motorcycle and a car. Oh, I know you're okay. a big motorcycle right, guy. Right, right, right. Uh, no, I, I, and I'll tell you, and again, I guess I mentioned this a little bit earlier, if I didn't have that level of success and comfort, I don't think I would have stayed. Okay. I mean, I, I could, I'll be very honest about well, so saying that. I understand. Right? No, because that's really important. A lot of people that watch this podcast are, are kids or people that are trying to get their way here. And they don't understand that there really are a couple of different levels here in Japan yeah. for foreigners. I like to say there's two. I like to say there's the, the foreigners that are surviving and the foreigners that are thriving. I've heard you say this. And if you're surviving, this is the wrong place to mm. be. You don't want to try to survive I Japan. totally agree with you. <laughs> I don't care what you're doing. You don't want to work in the no, I agree. and be working here. Yeah, I agree. Because the other side is such a vast difference. Yeah. The lifestyle and everything, and I wouldn't want to be here otherwise. No, I, I agree. So, so that's why I was under. Yeah, and I, so I made that decision when I you know, did that. I said, if I don't get a, a you know, I'm not going to be 30 teaching English in Japan, right? So I, so I moved to McCann Erickson, and there I was headhunted to 20th Century Fox. And that was a very interesting, you know, one of those real forks in the road yeah, where you have to decide. Work? Yeah. Uh, well, at that point, I had developed my profile. And when, when younger people ask me, how do you, what's a good way to be successful? I said, raise your profile. Become a chairman, a chairperson of a ACCJ committee. Publish something. You know, get your face out there somewhere. And of course, back then, there was not something like this where now mm -hmm. I'm on a podcast, exactly. for example. But I said, do whatever you can to raise your profile. And one more thing I'd like to add to yep. that, because it's so true. Just like you're in the alcohol business right now, it's the story. Absolutely. If you don't make your story sound appealing, 
Nobody wants to do it. I agree. You're, you're a brand how, in a sense. You're a commodity, how well right? You make your story. How do you differentiate That's yourself right. from somebody else? There you go. So um, at that point, um, I had done very well in McCann Erickson as well. And uh, Are I. Were you married at this time? I was, yeah. I, we, I got married to Minico in 1994. So it'll be 30 years next year. Now, who were you working with then? Uh, I was with JMDS at the time. Okay. And. Uh, um, yeah, so, yeah, so 30, almost 30 years. So with, with, um, with McCann Erickson, I kind of rose to um, a pretty, pretty important position worldwide. The head of the, the group that I was working with, McCann Relationship Marketing, was a really famous advertising guy named Stan Rapp, who, who in, created the Rapp and Collins Agency. So he, he was hired by McCann to develop their relationship marketing business. And Stan and I really grooved together. We re, I, I was, you know, really in awe of this guy. And he seemed to really like me. And we, we did some really fun stuff together. And uh, like a lot of times in life, you have to choose. At the same time I was headhunted to Fox, Stan says to me, Mark, I want to bring you back to New York. And I want you to be my number two guy worldwide. So here I am, Jersey boy, love New York, lived in New York, uh, advertising, Stan Rapp as my mentor, or senior vice president, Asia Pacific, 20th Century Fox, running the home that entertainment the division. Fork. That was the fork. How many years had you had here by that time? That time, that would have been 98. But how many years had you Yeah, so I came to oh, Japan in 88, so it was 10, 10 years. years. That's that's the point. That is a point. I was, That's and I was what? That was for I me. was 38 years old. So yes. yeah. So you know, I built some career. I I kind of raised the profile. You're married now. Married and um, sat down with with my wife and said, "Here's our choices," and you know, um, she preferred to stay in Japan. Not that that was an issue for me, and she said to me, "Mark." Movie business, film business, advertising? Come on. And I thought, yeah, and I thought the same thing. Of course, the, 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 the film business is one of the most music, film, fashion. I mean, those are probably the three most fun careers to be in. Um, and I was a little bit tired with advertising at that point. I, um, and, and, and I remember one of the, one of the main decision, the deciding factors for me was, in, in advertising, you're full on in the marketing and advertising side, but you have no P&L responsibility. And I remember thinking, and I, I know because I've been in the ad industry for so long, they talk about going to the client side, right? Ad people. You're either an ad person for life, a lot of respect for them as well. I mean, almost as difficult as being in the mental health field, I think. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, or you get out and you go to the client side. And I remember that was probably the most, the, the biggest deciding factor because working with Stan, going back to New York City, you know, getting into the New York ad industry, you know, or, you know, running Asia Pacific for 20th Century Fox and getting on the client side. So it was the, e in, so in some ways it was also the easier decision. I didn't have to move. I didn't have to uproot my life. I love Japan. I'm like, you know something, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into the film business. And made that decision, and don't regret it. Although, I do think, oh, what? A, 
how would I have done in New York? You know, how, you know, how would I have done going back and, you know, in the cutthroat, uh, you know, New York advertising industry? I don't know. I, I do think about it, but I, I certainly don't obsess about it. So anyway, that, and that went to my career at 20th Century Fox, which lasted uh, eight years. And then by that time, I was 45, 46, had a son at that point. We had a, our son very late and um, said, you know, I, uh, I've got some money. I've got a lot of experience. I've had 20 years of corporate life. I think I'm going to start my own business. <laughs> and I thought, you need those three things. And I tell people, I mean, either you do it right out of college where you got nothing and you got nothing to lose, or you do it later in life when you've got money, you've got experience, you've got networks. That's true. That's and you've right. got, you know, and you've got those three things. I think another big thing too, you have a lot of people that you've already met that have done it. Absolutely. So yeah, you you've got a roadmap them, in many ways, right? Road, yes, you don't have to take the same hard knocks they did. Exactly. I have this statue that I have a picture of and it's a guy and the, the title of it is called an entrepreneur, but this guy is blindfolded. He has a chisel and a sledgehammer. Right. And he's sitting in this rock, and he's chiseling himself to here, and he's about to take the next blow, but he has a blindfold. Right, wow, wow, interesting. That's an entrepreneur. That's, an, that's good, that's, a, such that's a very dramatic, oh, too. Yeah. So it is, I thought that was one of the best. If I could find that statue, or have someone make that for me. Okay, right, right. Like but I'm, you know, I have to, uh, now that I'm older, I can say it, because when I was younger, I, I really loved saying I was an entrepreneur. But some people, and I would say a majority of them, think they're entrepreneurs, but they're actually, like I have been, a small business owner. I'm not an entrepreneur. Yeah, I, I think I, I can and, relate and I to had that. Someone, yeah. I had an English guy explain to me what an entrepreneur is. Oh no, a French person. Right. Okay. This is their word. Okay. He said uh. an entrepreneur is a person who starts a company and can leave it, and it runs on its own without him. A Richard Branson. That's an entrepreneur. Okay. Because he doesn't have to be there, and he's still getting an income. Right. I've never. All my businesses, I must be there. Well, I certainly wouldn't get an income if I wasn't <laughs> in my company now. But you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, That's yeah. a true entrepreneur. Yeah, right, right. When he can set it up, it runs, he goes up. Who do we, Terry Lloyd is an entrepreneur. Yes. Mm -hmm. He's good. I don't know enough about uh, Mike Alfont and his businesses to know if he is, but he appears to be. Well, yeah, I, I, I know Mike um, has started a, so, you know, I think he's in the software business, right? right. He's in we're systems, talk, We're talking about people that we've known for a long yeah, time. Yeah, right, right. There's so many people here that are true thrivers, and I try to keep myself around them. Well, That's you know, there I'm are, and, and it, it, yeah. it surprises well, you're one me. one of them in my mind. Well, yeah, thank you. Yes. Although, you know, it surprises me how many foreigners in Japan have started companies, uh, made them successful, sold them, and made a lot of money. I think, I think there's more out there than we know, and I think they're in the in the dozens or scores or more than a hundred. And they don't I, want to be in this sphere though. I've met so many of them that say, they, I mean, they're living very well. Right. Can do whatever they want to do for the rest of their lives, but they don't like joining, like the club or the chamber. Okay, yeah, and they well. think Because the appearance is, you know, this for people in the club, and it isn't. Okay, no, I don't think it is at all, but... But it, that's the well, feel they get if they come in. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder. I mean, it, it, it could be there. that, but it also, I think it also could be they're maybe, they built their own business independently, and that's how they live their lives, you know? They live their lives independently, and I, I, have, respect, I have respect for both. Absolutely. I feel very comfortable, and I was a member of the club for 10 years, right. you know, getting back to the expat. Fox 
gave me a full expat package, full. I lived in a tower, you know, ungodly rents that I would never pay. When I left Fox, I didn't live there anymore. Um, you know, I had a, and I was very grateful, and it was a really, really fun time for me. It was a very, a very um, high-growth professional time. I traveled all over Asia uh, and really enjoyed the, the fruits of that expat lifestyle, including 10 years as a member of the American Club. Um, but, you know, my life is more humble now, and uh, I don't mind that. Um, I'm still committed to being successful um, in this business, in the business that I started. Let's I'd talk, like to leave a legacy. I'd let's like talk to, about that. What are you okay. doing now? Let's All get right. into what you're doing yeah, now. Yeah, so big picture, you know, when I left, I started, so you, you talked about the roadmap and having a mentor. Mm -hmm. When I, before I left Fox, I started talking to a lot, several of my colleagues and people that I knew, and I said, well, you know, what do you do after you leave a corporate business without going to another corporate business? They said, you start consulting. You know what you're doing. So would you just you just hang out a uh, you know a sign and say Mark Forty Consultant? They're like yeah, and then go to your network, go to your any clients that you've worked with or along the way, and fire up your network. Okay, so I did that. I I didn't physically put a, a sign up, but I I said okay I'm going to be a consultant. So I set up Big Picture International as a market entry to Japan strategic business consultancy. And that's what I started doing. I, I, my, one of my first clients was Microsoft. I did a lot of work for HMV. I worked for Qualcomm. I did kind of classic um, business strategy consulting. And then I started doing a little bit on the market entry side for um, Asian countries, uh, sorry, Asian companies, turned out. And did that for a few years. And I remember thinking, this is pretty easy. I didn't think, I didn't think it was going to be this easy. And then 2009, the financial crisis. So I went from, from 2005 to 2008, three or four years, smooth. Boom, the financial crisis. And guess what companies do when they're financially stressed? <laughs> they hold on to their cash. They, they hold on to their cash and they, they, fire, their, they, fire, they fire their consultants. That's right. right? They don't need the, the, the people that are least important. Exactly. Well, they're mind. important, they, but they're, they're, they're let, they're let goable. They're let goable. So the, any, of you, any of you out there that are interested in being a consultant know this. You get paid a lot when you're working. You don't get paid anything when you're not working. That's true. So, and then th there were lean years. There were, there were lean years. I'd say nine, 2009 to 2013 were pretty lean years. And it wasn't easy, um, and I did, did have my doubts, and I did think you know, it's the time to leave Japan. But I persevered, and around that time, um, very serendipitously, a business, very good a friend and business uh, partner of mine, Hunter Brumfield, who started his own company, he was doing translations and. He was, he was also an older man doing a, ending up uh, becoming an entrepreneur. He said, you know, we're, I'm doing this uh, customs clearance work uh, for companies. And every once in a while, I get a product that's not easy to import. Uh, you need some type of lab testing or some type of, uh, mm -hmm. of uh, um, import license. He said, are you interested in doing it? I said, sure. And at the time, I had a few Japanese... Uh, uh, people that were working with me. I said, let's try this. And we ended up helping a few companies get their difficult food products through, um, through customs. 
And that was the start. And I thought to myself, okay, wait a second. Import stuff, sell it online. I want to, I can do that. So once we, once we uh, got the import side done, then it was a matter of building a business that could sell. And um, that's when BPI became a e-commerce company. And we set up operations on Amazon, Rakuten, and Yahoo. And I built, I built the company from there. So yeah, so then B, BPI became an e-commerce company. And because we're, we're you know, we have, we have our clients that we're importing products for, we have our own products that we're buying and importing, we've become a kind of trading company now. It's small, I mean, I'm not saying we're a big company, but you know, we're importing containers of stuff you know, throughout the year. And uh, it's a really wide variety of, of items. Where it's apparel, it's, most, it's actually mostly food and beverage, but it's home appliances, it's computer-related equipment, it's sports equipment. So we've become kind of a trading company, I could say. Um, and on the food and beverage side, we've been very, very um, spe specific and particular. It's craft premium foods and craft premium liquor and craft premium spirits and wines. So it's only like the best, the best olive oil from, from uh, Spain, for example, the best olive oil, best uh, balsamic vinegar from Italy, the best uh, whiskey from America. And on the whiskey side, the whiskey that we're importing and selling is called Uncle Nearest. This is not a, this is not a shameless advertisement, but for those of you who love, this is your choice if you don't know this yet. So Uncle Nearest, um, is one of the spirits that we're importing. There's two whiskeys. I just brought you this one. Thank I you know so you much. love Uncle Nearest because you've come to two, two or three of I've our, two or three, three of our uh, pairing yes. dinners. Yes. So we do we do whiskey pairing dinners at barbec with barbecue at, at the best restaurants here in Tokyo. And I know you've come, and I know you love it, and I know you love the whiskey, and I know you love the backstory, right? Right of this being a black-owned. Um, distillery and the history of, of Uncle Nearest being that the the master distiller who <laughs> basically invented Tennessee whiskey was a freed African-American slave named Nathan Green who became Uncle Nearest because he was so close to the Jack Daniels family they called him Uncle Nearest he taught Jack Daniels how to distill whiskey, whiskey. So I know you love this. I know you love this on so many different levels. I do because my sons are really into whiskey. I wasn't for a long time. I was a vodka drinker. All right. Okay. Because my father was a vodka drinker, but what he drank, I couldn't touch. Smirnoff. Okay. Yeah. Couldn't okay. Do that at all. <laughs> so I got into premium vodka. Okay. I sure. Loving it. I, pre I tell you, premium anything. Oh, it's, it makes all the difference. It's just in the premium world. anything. That's right. They're not putting all the additives and all the impurities in it. Right. But Uncle Nearest is a smooth whiskey. There's no doubt about it. It's one of my favorites, and it's not just because it's ethnically similar to me. Right. <laughs> it is just really a good whiskey. And I bet you and wish the, you were the one importing it. I know. I, this, wish, right? I really do wish I was one of the people that brought it in, or my sons at least right. brought it in. But the events that you, I mean, if I were ever to talk to the owners of Uncle Nears, I would say that Mark is knocking, you are knocking it out of the park because every event I've come to, not only is it well attended, but the food that you give us. I never feel like I didn't get my money's worth. Yeah, thanks. I really feel that. And the way that you don't get in our way or anything else, but you make sure there's 
eye candy. There's, <laughs> there's lots of food. <laughs> Wasn't well, that a was, good party? And, those, and the whiskey's well, good. Look, this gets me back to my party days. I like, I'm yeah, academic, I'm a businessman, I'm a party guy. Yeah, do it, do I mean, it. I just got back from Fuji Rock. This is the 16th time. You've been to Fuji Rock. Sixteenth time I've did been to Fuji Did you Rock. like Fuji Rock too? Uh, she went so once. She didn't like it. it I put her to sleep in a little like a like a hollow log because she she was tired and cold. I was raving at two o'clock in the morning. What about your son? I took him last year. And what did he say? He loved it. Absolutely. He's a hip hop kid, but he you know I I made sure to ground him in rock. Make sure you understand that. So you can go do your hip hop thing. I like hip hop, by the way. I actually like Jap. He's turned me on to Japanese hip hop as well. But no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a rocker, you know? And there I, you th go. there's a certain lifestyle that goes with being a rocker. And I, yeah. I live it as much as I can. Well, Mark, listen, before I end the podcast, there's a question I always love to ask of my guest. And that is, if you were able to go back in time with all the knowledge you have now and meet the younger Mark Forte, how old would that Mark Forte be? And what advice would you give him? Wow, that's a deep question. Um, it would probably be in my 30s. I was, I was a more aggressive person than I am. I, I don't, it's never an obnoxious or a, you know, aggressive, nasty person, but I was pretty demanding and I was pretty uh, uh, controlling, um, a bit of a temper, I guess. And I'm such a chilled out person now. And look, you can't speed up life. Um, the older you get, the more mature you get, the more calm, the more peaceful you are. Um, I think I would, have, I would have said to him, power, you have your power, you don't need to use your power. And I, and I think that might have made me maybe a, a more polished person as a younger man. And um, that one, and probably another thing, getting back to my dad, who was like the most wonderful man in the world. New York cop, became, you know, didn't even finish high school, became a lieutenant, got his college degree afterward. Really impressive guy, really, and beautiful person. But the thing about him most was, he was charming. And they called him Charming Chuck. And I think if I ever, if I could ever get a more charming part of my personality, I would want that. I, I you know, my dad was the most charming person I've ever met. And I think as a man, you want to be powerful, but you also want to be charming. And if you can have those two combinations, then I think you can really uh, express yourself as a man in the best way. Beautiful, Mark. Thank you so much. Same here, Lance. We're going to do this again. I'd love to. And how long did it take us to do you this, said, right? Man, a year, I kept, years, I was bobbing. Yeah, big time. I was yeah, yeah, bobbing and weaving. and shoe. <laughs> Thank you so much. For sure. I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast. Make sure you press like and subscribe. And never forget, it's all on loan, so continue to reach for the stars. Because you're too blessed to be stressed.